I want to talk to you today with your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 about times and seasons of our life. Everybody's life is in a time, we're all in a different season of our life. We're experiencing different things through the event that we have called life. And it's very interesting whenever you begin to kind of parse your life out into different segments to consider where you might be. Leslie Weatherhead has helped us just a little bit with that by breaking down the time of a clock, starting at six o'clock in the morning, and then continuing that over and giving us the age of our life and the time we are based on a clock. If you're ready to receive that, say yes. And if, sheesh, if you're ready to receive that, say yes. yes. <clears throat> All right, that's a little more heartening. Here we go. If you're 15 years old, it's 1025. Anybody 15? If you're, 10, if you're 15, it's 1025. If you're 20, it's 1134 in the morning. If you're 25, it's 1242. You're on the lunch hour. It's 151 if you're 30 years old. If you're 35, it's 3 o'clock, 440. It's four o'clock. The clock continues to roll. Age 45, it's 516. At 50, it's 625. At 55 years old, it's 734. At 60, it's 842. At 65, it's 951. At 70, it's 11 o'clock. And so goes the clock. You may have figured out where you are by that little calculation. Only God really knows the full insight of how long we'll live. But we want to look at the words of Solomon here whenever he gives to us some very important insights. It talks to us about prioritizing the time we have in our day, in our life in which we live. Verse 1 says that we need to express, or that time expresses opportunity. Time expresses opportunity. Every one of us in this room have the same amount of time in a day. You've got 60 seconds in a minute. You've got 60 minutes in an hour. You have the same seven days in the week. You all have the same amount of time in a month, the same amount of time in a year, and all of us celebrate the same amount of time with that. David wrote this about his life and about how quickly life has gone. He says, I was young, and now he says, I am old. Bill Clinton was president of the United States for several years, and he had been governor of Arkansas before that serving in a number of political roles and various leadership titles that he had. But when Bill Clinton celebrated his 60th birthday, after having exited the office of president as the youngest person in our history, he at his 60th birthday was asked, how do you feel? And he said this, I thought interesting. He said, early in my career, while I was with all the titles and badges and honors that I had, I was the youngest person in the room. He said, now when I go into the room, I'm the oldest person in the room. A lot of places I go. And then he said, his words, not mine, I hate it. You and I have no way of turning back the clock, but we do have an opportunity to do something with what we have given to us right now. And I think it's very important for us to consider it. If you live an average life of average American you'll live about 78.7 years on this earth. If you spend those almost 79 years, you're going to spend 229,961 hours sleeping on average. 
Some of you that were at the fall nighter, I don't know how you want to figure that. <laughs> Eating and drinking. They estimate we spend about 67 minutes in our day, about 32,000 hours, eating and drinking. Driving. We spend almost 38,000 hours driving. We drive almost 800,000 miles. That's about three trips back and forth to the moon. So when someone tells you, go to the moon, tell them you've already been there. <laughs> Working. If you work from age 20 to age 65, you're going to spend somewhere around 90,000 hours on an average 40-hour work week at work. Now, I'm not sure if this will adjust a little bit from the statistics, but surfing the internet, most people will spend 28,000 hours surfing the internet. Most people will spend nine years watching TV. Nine out of your, you'll spend almost a decade watching television. Cleaning. Most women spend in their lifetime 13,000 hours cleaning. Most men only spend 6,500 hours. <laughs> I don't know who's cleaner or who's dirtier. I have no comment with that. If you go to church one hour a week, 50 weeks out of the year, in that same 79 years, you're gonna go around 4,000 hours to church. I've given you a lot of statistics, but all of us have the same amount of time. Chuck Swindoll says the goal then is not to find more time, but to use the time we have more wisely. Solomon writes right here in Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse one, he says there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun. I've had some people talk to me about someday I'm gonna do something and they'll say whatever it is they're gonna do. And here they are 40 or 50 years old. And I ask the question, why are you not doing it? Why aren't you getting on it? Why are you waiting? Who's stopping you? What's keeping you from achieving the goals and the dreams that you have? You're not getting any younger. It's getting toward the afternoon of your life. What has God called you to do? What does he want you to do? And I believe today God would want each one of us to be awake in the life decisions that we are making. Patricia Miller works in the ER and she has worked there for about five years. And she said a young lady had overdosed trying to take her life and the cops had found her. And they went to the mother's house and they woke up the mother and now the mother is there and Patricia is getting the information at the emergency room desk. Important information about it. The mother could barely even just talk in a whisper. She was so shocked, so saddened, so startled by everything that had happened. Unsettled reality. Patricia said, I sat there and I was just saying, hurry up and give me the information. Just hurry up and give me, in her mind. She didn't say it out loud, but she's saying in her mind. And then she got up from where she was when she was finished gathering a bit of information and she went over to the copy machine to make some copies of some stuff and to send some stuff to some people. And she said, when I walked from that desk where I'd gotten the information over to where I was gonna do the copying, I am a Christian. And she said, the Lord stopped me. And he said, you didn't even look that lady in the eye. Do you even care? 
She said, when I finished doing this, I walked back over to where the lady was. I sat down beside her now, not across the desk. I put my hands over her hands, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, I care, and I am sorry about what's happening. And that lady shared her story about how her daughter had been and how her own life had been, and she was crying, and pretty soon she comes up for air, and she looks at Patricia, and she says, I want to thank you for listening to me. You and I have the same amount of time. What are we going to do with the time that we have? And then time expresses limits. In verses 2 through 5, we see the start and stop indicated in this passage. It's almost like a swing set. You push and back and forth, back and forth. On the first one in verse 2, look at it. God controls this. We don't control this. This is important. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. So God controls those days of our life, right? Look at verse 3. These are now things that he allows us to control with our will, with our body, with our ability. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill, heal, weep, laugh, mourn, dance. And then it says there's a time to scatter stones, and there's a time to gather them. I look at that and I thought, what does that mean? It means there's a time for war, and there's a time to cease from warring. That is what he is saying to us in this passage. The sovereignty of God is also expressed in this. When he determines to allow us to participate in many things, but it says to us in the, in the passage here that he has orchestrated so much in our world around us. Psalm 139, David wrote it this way. He said, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with my ways. And then it says this in Psalm 37, the Lord knows the days of the upright. Charles Adams was a politician, and he had a son named Brooks. And uh, he took his young son fishing one day. Both had diaries, and both entered into their diary their journaling words. Charles, the father, said, took my son fishing today, and then wrote, a day wasted. His young son, Brooke, wrote in his diary, took a day fishing with my dad. It was the best day of my life. It's a perspective that matters. Some of us need to adjust our lives. Lisa Turkhurst, whom we hope to have here in November, she has said some important things, and one of the things she said was this. Jesus doesn't participate in the rat race. He's into the slower rhythms of life, like abiding, delighting, and dwelling. All these words require us to trust him with our place, and listen to this, with our pace. Most of us came to church last Sunday. We went home, we ate a couple meals, we slept a couple nights, and we're right back here now. It's like church, and then boom, we're right back here to church. It's Monday morning, and then boom, it's right back to Monday morning. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. This is crazy how quickly life is going. It's amazing, it's almost alarming how fast it seems to be passing by. No wonder David said, I was young and now I am old. But he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. as a beautiful thing for him to say. But God has given to every one of us this idea of time. 
John Ortberg, was privileged to pastor on staff of one of the largest churches in the nation. He's out in the Midwest. He's a teaching pastor, a position that they had hired him for. And while they hired him on, he had kids that were young, needed to go to soccer and needed to go to music lessons and all kinds of things with school. And so he got a hold of his spiritual mentor, and when he did, he said, can you give me some advice? The pace of this church is deafening, and the pace of my kids and my family life is so quick right now. What do I need to do to be able to run this successfully and to be able to be the person I'm supposed to be? And his spiritual mentor said back to him, you need to ruthlessly avoid and cut out of your life hurry. And he said, I wrote that down. Now what? As if to get a checklist. His mentor said, I have nothing else to give to you. That's all I have to give to you. Ruthlessly cut out of your life, hurry. Some of the places I've been driving over the last few days and working on these messages for Ecclesiastes over the last few months, I've been thinking about the idea of hurry and how much of my schedule is hurry. I mean, we hurry up to go where? You look at the American culture right now. We hurry up and go do this because we've got to do that next and we've got to do the other after that and there's something else calling us after that so we can go to bed to get up tomorrow to do this, to do that, to do the other so we can get up and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. If I'm right, say yes. yes. <laughs> and then what we do is we end up going to the doctor for high blood pressure medicine and we go back for nerve medicine and pretty soon we keep hurrying and hurrying so we can keep going on doing the things we want to do and then we go into the hospital and get our bypass surgery and want to get well as quick as we can so we can get back and do our hurry as much as we can. When I was over to the Middle East, and I know it's a different time period, different culture, different day, when we think back of Jesus, I'm thinking back to Jesus' time and how much more relaxed the schedule was. And once in a while, we need to be able to say the word no and be okay with it. No, I'm not available then. No, I can't do that. My wife was asking me, I don't know, about a year ago, we were looking to do something, and I just said, I'm going to just say something that's not going to be real fun to hear, but I'm going to say, no, I'm not available for it. I cannot do that. I'm not a machine. I'm just me, and I'm not available to do that. And her drive on that particular matter had to come to an understanding of where I was. I didn't have any more energy to give to that, whatever that was at the time. And you probably don't either. Once in a while, you need to maybe just slow down. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. He wants us once in a while just to slow down and connect with him, doesn't he? And there's nothing bad about doing that. Once in a while, just to say enough. Turn the phone off, turn the TV off, turn the radio off. Turn off all the games. <laughs> we don't have to have something on all the time, do we? And just commune with God. And if you feel a nap coming on, you probably need it. Take it and enjoy it. And if you're getting grouchy, eat some fried chicken. <laughs> no, that'll get on your gut. Watch it. Oh, man, it's good. And then you look at your Bible in verses 6 through 17. Time leads to our meeting with God. Each person in this room has been gift wrapped today. And what a beautiful day this is. Can I get a witness somewhere on that? 
Man, I wish we had a convertible roof in here. We could roll this roof back today. It'd be so wonderful. Some of you camping and watching right now. Wow, what a treat it is, right? Moses in Psalm 90 and 12 said it this way. Teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. In other words, teach us to number our days. Paul in Ephesians 5 and 16 put it this way. These are evil times, so make every moment count. This is why we're coming together this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Not to waste your time or to take another $10 worth of your gas. We're coming together because our days are absolutely evil and they are destructive. When I think about what's happening over in the Palmerton campus that we launched out and I see the people coming to Jesus, I thank God for that. When I was over at Lee Heighton campus and I saw what was happening and yesterday in one of the meetings that I was part of, there was a guy that I had never met and he was telling me about how much help he has been getting and he attends our campus in Lee Heighton. I thank God that this church stepped out to do something like that to be able to make a difference in the life of people that maybe never would have come here and maybe wouldn't have gone anyplace else to church, but we have been able to take the church to them. It's a wonderful privilege. Why will we be meeting? We'll be meeting because we want to see the hearts of men and women change. Yesterday I was part of the men's group and some of the guys came to me afterwards and they said to me, they said, our days are so evil, our times are so bad, this is so rough, what in the world should we be doing about this? And I said, you see that guy standing over there? And they looked, they said, yeah. I said, just a few years ago, that guy didn't know Jesus. Today that guy knows Jesus. Today that guy's heart has been transformed into the likeness of Christ until he is reflecting Christ. I was talking about you, Bob. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to be part of a church where we share Jesus Christ and the love of Christ and see him transform men and women and our young people all over the place. The shooting down in Philadelphia overnight into today, 11 shot, three dead. The shootings that are happening, too many to name. Continue to call every one of us to be active in the ministry of Jesus Christ and to be serving him with all diligence and all effectiveness. And so why, why in the world would he even call a huddle? Because we want to regroup just like a football team, just like a baseball team coming together for a few minutes and we could come together and we could reset the, set the understanding, clarify the direction, and we would say, here we go. Let's take turf for Jesus Christ. And we want to impact and influence as much as we can for the sake of the gospel. And that's what we're seeking to do. And so he says in verses 9 through 15 here, we, we need to be doing se several things because he says God has placed in every one of us eternity. Eternity has been placed within our heart. In study on missiology and things like that about missions and, and people in humanity throughout the ages, the decades of, of our own existence, we understand cultures that are being just discovered and we really have not evangelized in any way and talked to them about God. You go in there and begin to discover their language and you begin to talk with them about what's going on and the beautiful thing is we realize that even in cultures that are very, very backwoods and very, very remote, they have built in them what Solomon says here. They have eternity that has been placed in their heart. That is, they have a God awareness. There is a God. He loves you. He cares about you. They have an awareness of some kind. And so Solomon is saying here, since you have God awareness in your heart, you need to reverence God. Some translations put it in verse 14, you need to fear God. It doesn't mean that you live in such a dreadful fear that if you ever did something wrong, you wouldn't go to church or you wouldn't pray or you wouldn't, that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about recognize that God is holy. He has made you, he loves you, and yet he does have the side of justice 
which is judgment. Yes, he has that, but that he cares deeply about every one of us. So what we do is we reverence him, and what we have done is several hundred of us this morning, nudge your neighbor if they need to be wakened, nudge them real good. Here's the deal. We have come in here, and listen to this. We have worshiped an invisible God. We have sung songs of anthem and songs of declaration and testimony because we are singing the songs of faith to a God none of us have seen. Yet his evidence is all around us. Can I get a witness? This is my father's world. He has created all that is. And so it's in him we live and move and have our being. So what should we do? Look at verse 12. We ought to be happy and enjoy life. Nudge your neighbor and say, quit being a curmudgeon. Go ahead and elbow him real hard. Make it hurt. No, don't. And then we ought to be able to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us. Verses 12 and 13 point this out. He has expressed himself in different gifts and abilities through different ones, and he has given us different gifts like today is a beautiful day, and we ought to be able to enjoy this day and the beauty that it gives to us. But Solomon in verses 16 and 17 was looking around at all of these people that do evil, and he said, oh my goodness, my stars You know why I said it? He said, because all these people do evil and do more evil and the evil people keep doing evil and nothing seems to happen to them. Have you ever said that or felt that? Oh, yes, I have. Solomon felt that way. Look at verse 16 and 17. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. It will happen. There will be judgment on the just. There will be judgment on the unjust, according to what's said. But you and I look around and we see the, the bad people getting by with stuff. I remember being in fifth grade, Ms. Perry's class. They had scrambled up all of the students and they put well-behaved students with students who weren't well-behaved and they put fast learners with slow learners. They'd done all this scramble of all these kids. And, and one day she was barking at us about something that we were doing and, and, and I had had enough of it and we were walking down the stairs toward recess or something. And I said, Miss Perry, can I ask you something? She said, yeah, well, you want to ask me? I said, how come you always get on us and you never get on? And I mentioned, I won't mention his name in case he's watching, <laughs> but I mentioned, I said, I said, that guy is always causing trouble and you never do anything to him. She didn't like my question <laughs> at all. And she really didn't give me any good answer either. So she just basically said, now you just be good and don't worry about it. That's basically what it says, shut up and keep shooting, you know. So it was where it is. Gary Tyndall was hauled into court, California, true story. Armando Rodriguez was a judge. And there's Gary Tyndall and he says, your honor, could I go to the restroom? And the judge says yes, and he asks the attendants to take him to the restroom. The restroom was upstairs. And so they went upstairs, and they stood outside the restroom with their uniforms and looking all proper while they let Gary go into the bathroom. They probably had to change their plans after this. He went in the bathroom by himself, not to go to the bathroom, but to get a hold of that pipe, go up into the ceiling, remove a tile, get out of the bathroom area and he began to crawl through the ceiling space trying to get away from everything and he ended up going about 30 40 feet and he fell through the roof (laughs) the tiles gave way true story you know where he landed in the courtroom (laughs) 
There will be justice one day. Ecclesiastes 8 and 6 says it this way, because for every matter there is a time of judgment. But if you and I were to sit here and just think about the dread of God, he's going to judge all these people. Bless God and hate the devil. And we get mad like that, like some of you want me to preach. Well, let me tell you something else. There's another side of the gospel that you want to listen to and catch, and that's this. Each of you sitting here has a story of transformation if you have come to Jesus Christ as we took communion a little bit ago. You have confessed your sin to him and he has forgiven you of your sin. And in confessing and receiving his forgiveness, you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind, by Christ's blood. It is his work in you. No other person can do it. You can't educate it in. You can't force it through legislation. This is a transforming work of Jesus Christ. When he comes into the heart, when he comes into the life, he begins to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Don, am I right on that? I'm right on that. And so here's the deal. Whenever he does this, we begin to ask ourselves, well, what if I mess up somewhere along the way? Let me tell you something. You're a human being and you will mess up. It is possible to sin. It is possible to not sin. You have a free will. You have a choice. By that, I mean this. It is possible to choose not to do something that you know is wrong. It is possible to choose to do right in that sense. That's what I'm talking about. But listen to this. If you sin, what happens? Well, when, when I was a little kid, I was having trouble with that, and I asked my mom, I said, Mom, what happens to me whenever I sin? Do I have to get saved all over again? And she said, no. And I said, what do you mean I don't have to get saved over? I got saved because I was a sinner. Now you're telling me I've just sinned and I don't have to get saved all over again. What do I have to do? And she said, Kevin. And she opened up to the epistle of 1 John, and she began to show me where it says there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a little kid, she just said, that means he stays with you and you confess whatever it is you did like the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, and his blood cleanses us. When I got older and began to study out the scripture and began to understand what it meant and look at the verb tense, it is saying his blood, listen to this, residually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But he can forgive us of those commission sins I committed on purpose. He can forgive me of those omission sins where I didn't even know I was sinning and yet I did. His blood residually keeps me clean. Therefore, I am right before God, justified. And if I die and become dirt. Have potato salad if you want to after a while, but have a little funeral. That's okay. Put me out there wherever. And this is what I know. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Can I get an amen somewhere across this crowd in here today? So, so here's the deal. If you're a BWCer, everybody say BWC. All right. If you're a BWCer, it ought to matter if Jesus is coming to your heart. All right, here's what it matters. When you go to work, you ought to be a believable follower of Jesus Christ to where if you said to somebody, you know what, Christ has come into my life, he has forgiven my sin, he had made all the difference in the world, they would look at you and say, you know, I could tell something was different about you. Not that you're just weird, but that there was something different about you, you know what I'm saying? In your neighborhood, you ought to be able to say, you know what, Christ has done something in my life. He has done something in my life. He has forgiven my sin. You ought to be able to say that, and they're like, wow. We ought to be able to do that at our family get-togethers, right? And to be able to say, hey, and let God have a moment. 
You know what we need more than legislation in our country right now? We need you and me to be on fire for Christ to the point that his Holy Spirit is at work through us, to the point that his blood is just absolutely available to everybody, if you will, that he could transform them and save them and forgive them and make them right before God. I'm not looking for somebody to to blame and to criticize and to bury and to bomb and to shoot. No, what I wish would happen is Joe Biden would come to Jesus. That's what I wish. I wish, I wish Mitchell... I wish Mitchell and McConnell and all these guys would come to Jesus. That's what I wish. Republican, Democrat, Independent, I don't give a rip. And I wish your boss would come to Jesus. But you know what else I wish? I wish you would so come to Jesus to where you would be willing to be a fool for Jesus if he asked you to be instead of worrying about your daggum reputation, which is going to be gone in just a little while and we're going to put you in a box. We can't play games with this business of Christ. We need to seize the day. Billy Graham said this, all my life I've been taught how to die, but no one ever taught me how to grow old. When you grow older, secondary things like politics begin to fall away. The primary things become primary again. The primary thing is, as Jesus said, to try to love God totally and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, if we get so much Jesus on us to where people wanted to be here, we couldn't have enough services and we wouldn't have enough room in this building to contain and the parking lots wouldn't be big enough and we've got 74 acres here. There'd be cars parked all over this place. We'd be outside with microphones, megaphones and everything else because people wanted to get to Jesus and to take Jesus out to the world around us. So why in the world, when he's done so much, (laughs) wouldn't we want to take him out to our world? So I ask you this when I land this message. Musicians, come on, please. It is this. What time is it in your life? What time is it right now in your life? If you knew you only had a little time on earth, what would you do? Who would you forgive? Who would you go see? What would you do before this day was out? Who would you tell about Jesus? Just tell them about Jesus. Pray for the opportunity and then take it before it is too late.